Hi, I'm Dr. Mitch Harlan, and welcome to the Truth Talks Podcast. Today's episode, I have with me Isaiah Chavis. How are you, Isaiah? I'm doing good. How are you? I'm doing wonderful. This is, a, this is an exciting podcast for me. Your name came to us uh, from someone we really expect in our, respect in our circle, mm-hmm. and they said, you have to get this guy's story. So, of course, I don't know much about you, mm-hmm. right? Even though you are, are a pretty powerful young man. Well... I don't know if I'd call it power, but uh, I try to be influential where I can be. You're an influential, <laughs> powerful, I mean, powerful in a lot of ways. I mean, I did a lot of research on you. You're the CU student body president, CU meaning the University of Colorado. That's right. Tell me a little bit about that, where, where you came from that, that position. Tell me how that all came about. Yeah, so uh, last year, so I'm a senior right now at uh, CU Boulder. I graduate in May. Um, in my junior year, actually, a friend of mine had told me, hey, get involved with student government. And so I joined student government in a PR position, um, doing a lot of PR and marketing, uh, trying to create content. And then uh, that led, I think I was there for maybe two months before I said, oh, I can, I can run for president for sure. Um, so I teamed up with uh, some of my colleagues at the time and said, I'm going to run. And we campaigned from, ooh, I think I announced my candidacy in December of 2019. Uh, Announced, ran from December all the way through April. Uh, Then I got sworn in at the end of April and became president from then until now. And so all through the summer, uh, all through fall semester, now we're in spring semester now. And yeah. And and that's impressive. It's impressive. Thank you. But I wondered why he wanted me to run this story. And then I found out that I'm like, oh my God, now I know, because he knows us, he knows our story. Mm-hmm. And it's always, uh, it's what we call truth talks for a reason, right? Mm-hmm. We always are looking for that incredible story. And while you are incredibly impressive as an individual, which I've gotten to learn through my research, thank you. the start of your story, though, is what captivated me. Mm-hmm. It's a story, and I'm going to let you tell it, but I'm going to open it up just a little bit. Yep. Uh, there was a post in the in Denver Post, yep. an, an article in the Denver Post. And you were a young, young, young individual, and your mom had you underneath her desk as she was finishing her history degree yep. at the University of Colorado. So when I label it, I, I label this from under the desk to the podium. Mm, I like that. It was yeah. it, That was the impressive <laughs> thing, and we, we talked a little bit off camera, as we always do in a pre-interview, yeah. mm-hmm. and I said, man, while you have an incredible story, I have to start with your mom. Tell yes. us that story, because that is powerful. Yeah, absolutely. For for starters, my mom is the superhero, right? My mom is the one, and she almost overshadowed me in the article in the Denver Post. <laughs> no, she um, did. Yeah, <laughs> that's a fact. <laughs> but, you know, when I was growing up, uh, it was just my mom and I for, you know, my entire life, at least growing up to now. Um, you know, we had gone through a lot of hardship together. I have a super supportive family, and my family very much so values education. Uh, I think almost every member of my family does have a college degree, Um, and even a graduate degree. Um, And so growing up, my mom instilled in me that education is one of those tools to add to your tool belt. My my grandpa always used to say, have as many tools in your tool belt as possible. And so I think my mom was, ooh, I don't know. I mean, she had me when she was 18, um, almost 19. And so she would go to the library studying for her thesis, I remember, um, at UCCS in Colorado Springs, Um, where I would literally hide underneath the desk in the library and in her classes while she was doing class or talking to professors. And at the time, uh, from what she told me, right, um, that was frowned upon for some of her professors. So she actually had to 
you know, maneuver. That's why I was hiding under the desk. It was <laughs> right. not a like, oh, go play everybody supporting. I was really hiding um, and, you know, playing with army guys underneath the table. And, I read that. Yeah. And it's crazy to think about. And as I, as a kid, when my mom would, you know, explain the value of what she was doing to me, it kind of goes over your head because I had no context for anything outside of my own purview. Um, but for fun, I mean, she would talk to me about what she was reading in class. Like, that's what we did for fun. She would tell me what she was learning about in the textbooks, what she wanted to do, how the world is positioned, societal issues, um, political issues, right, economic issues. She's always been instilling uh, what she was learning at the time, which has really crafted my character. So then, uh, let me think about this. As I you know, started entering, I think, high school, um, I started really getting a knack for what I'd been brought up in, which is just this wealth of knowledge. My mom is the smartest person I've ever met. She's the most caring person I've ever met. She's the strongest person I've ever met. That is a fact. Um, and that's not to, you know, we need to credit the other people in my life too, like my grandma, right? I was raised by all women. And, uh, you know, my uncles and I are super close. I have male role models around me. Um, but growing up, that was something that, you know, lacked in, in my life of, of male role models who were close to the source all the time. Mm -hmm. And my mom was that source. She was the source of love. She, it's hard to raise a man as a woman with no male counterparts around you. And so that in itself is a magnificent skill that she accomplished, I would assume, well. I'm, I, I feel like I turned out okay. Right. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's that's been one of those cornerstones that's opened my view on what's important, right? Like you can do the impossible. Everybody told her it was impossible. She got very little support getting to where she is today. And you know, what, what I love about that story is, and I think it goes back to everything that you kind of learn. Uh, you know, again, I, I'm sitting here significantly older than you are, right? And I see this guy that, that reaches the podium. And as I'm reading your story, I'm like, okay, that's impressive. I'm reading though, what got you to that podium. Mm -hmm. And to me, that is where the answers are really, right? Mm -hmm. It's not not who who's speaking behind the podium. How did they get there? Mm -hmm. What did they do? What is that journey that all of us can learn? And while it is impressive what you have done without your mother, mm -hmm. this probably doesn't exist. Oh, factually, it does not exist. And she's the first to tell me that, you know, I, I'm a person that likes to set high lofty goals that other people may you know, might say are crazy. And I'm totally okay with that. I'm totally okay being the crazy one in the room if they say you're reaching too far. Yeah. And she's always been the one to say reach further. Um, but don't get lost in the fact that what you see as the finish line is really still part of the process. The process is the satisfying part. And she's displayed that more than anybody, right? And that's what I've seen is this grind in the process of hard times, high highs, low lows, and even, you know, stalemates sometimes. All part of that process is once you get to the finish line that you think is the end, it's not really the end. You know, that, that is the beauty in the process. It's, it's funny you say that because as we were talking before, you know, we run all kinds of different podcasts and, and one of our Navy SEALs, you know, he gets his trident on and mm -hmm. then he's like, oh my God, I've accomplished everything. What's next? Right. Right. So that's, I love when you bring that up. And, and again, you sound extremely mature for your age. Obviously what you've done, there's a whole lot of maturity there. But again, it was that raising in the right direction, mm -hmm. that education, mom saying, hey, this is what needs to be done, grandma, all these people yeah. that, that are influential in your life. I think that's a missing piece anymore. And I don't, I, I won't, on my show, I don't let that slide by. Mm 
Yeah. I think that, again, in every show that we do, there's eight seconds that'll change someone's life. And it might be that mom who has that kid early. She mm. thinks her life is over. Mm-hmm. Your mom showed that it's not. Yeah, absolutely. Get them some army men, yeah. hide them underneath the table, <laughs> and go do whatever it is you got to get yeah. done. Which gives me then a lot of hope, too. Mm. What gives me hope is that, A, you recognized all that. Mm. You are the new leaders that are coming on. We're the next generation up. Myself and producer Chad, we're getting old. No one wants to listen to (laughs) us anymore. We're the old guy, you know, that nobody wants to care about. But there's a a bigger thing here. And and this is one of the reasons, again, I wanted to have you on the show. You're now actually responsible for my kids. Do you understand that impact? You know, to a degree, I do understand it, right? I can understand it to what uh, I've been told, or I can grasp wisdom that's around me, such as yourself, right? You've got some years on me, and so you have... Uh, you know, inherently more wisdom and life experience. And there's a lot of advisors around me, uh, mentors around me with that same wealth of knowledge that I can't access through experience. I have to access by, you know, learning from what they have to say. So uh, I can see already just some of the microcosms that are happening based on the work that I'm passionate about, saying this will inevitably impact somebody down the road. This is going to impact the generation after and even before me, right? Yeah. This, we live in a very strange time right now where we have access to a lot of resources and they make us more mobile. Mobility and action is you know, actually affecting a lot more people than it was 10 years ago, 20 years ago. So I find myself being able to utilize the resources paired with the knowledge around me. Hopefully, I'm doing the right thing. I try to do the right thing to impact. Like, your, How old are your kids even? So I, my oldest son is uh, 19, or okay. just turned 20, sorry. We just had his golden 20th birthday. And, uh, and then my daughter's 15 and my other son's 13. Okay, okay. And, and you know, they're, they are coming up that decisions you make hmm. at the university, decisions you make in some of the other political or, or other stuff that we're getting ready to talk about, yeah. what, what your role is on CU, now that affects my kids. And hmm. so... People like yourself who are certainly coming up, who are certainly becoming a voice of influence, Mm. if we don't ask you the hard questions, who's going to? If I don't hold you accountable, who's going to? One of the things I'm going to throw out right now, just kind of where we're on that topic so I can get back to kind of where we want to go, Mm. I was interviewing my dad. I just built him a home, and I was interviewing him on the back deck of of the house, and I asked my dad, who, by the way, has an eighth-grade education, Okay. And I asked my dad, I said, uh, is there anything you wish you'd have done different in life? And he said, one day I hope you're as rich as me. My dad didn't have the opportunities that you and I had, mm-hmm. but he made every good decision to optimize the opportunities he was given. Mm-hmm. And his wealth was that me and my two brothers were able to go on and, and have these incredibly fruitful lives. All of us have been, found a, a, a pretty decent level of success. Right. That was his wealth, and, right. and I, whether, whether we talk about that anymore or not, I want that to soak into that coconut, mm-hmm. because when you're up somewhere and you're talking and you're influencing people, I want you to remember that, because I think it's the most powerful statement in the world. What truly is your wealth? Right. And the wealth is passing something great down, and, you're, and I do believe you're going to get this opportunity. Well, thank you. Yeah, wealth is not always monetary, and you said it it's best. It's not always monetary. It's how you classify what wealth is, and I think our society right now, for one, especially my generation... Uh, that is one of those keys. That's one of the major keys that we have to understand is that wealth is not always monetary. 
our society does tote that as as the end all be all. So I appreciate that. Absolutely, it's just great words of wisdom. Tell me what you do at CU. What is your role? Yeah, so in student government and in my you know position right now, uh, CUSG. That's what we call it, CU Student Government. Uh, we handle student fees. Uh, we handle twenty five million dollars of student fees, give or take a given year, um, and not. 100% of the fees go to student government. There are certain fees that are administrative that uh, the school runs themselves. But uh, for example, we run things like uh, the rec center. And so these are called cost centers. And these cost centers are owned by student government. So I oversee cost centers and uh, the funding that goes within those cost centers. And we have a whole you know team. We have a finance board that handles all the logistics there. We have our legislative council who handles policy and passes legislation uh, surrounding this money, really, and just conduct on campus. So student government owns the, the rec center, the University Memorial Center, which is, you know, the, we call it the UMC. It's kind of like the home base for students. There's food in there. It's one of the biggest buildings on campus. Um, one of our cost centers is off-campus housing. Um, the VRC, which is the Volunteer Resource Center, which is doing great work this year, uh, given COVID, uh, we've done a lot with food insecurity. And so the VRC has really stepped up. The director of the VRC, her name is Hannah Wilkes, um, really stepped up and, you know, threw some resources to food drives on campus for students or really just the community. You don't have to show ID. You don't have to be vetted. It's for, do you need it? If you need it, we're here for you. Um, so I'm super excited about that. In fact, uh, President Kennedy, who's the uh, president, the permanent president of the system, um, he actually had just given a significant amount of money to us to uh, distribute that. So uh, the VRC, and then we have uh, CSI, the Center for Student Involvement, and that is, uh, has a lot of different moving parts. So when I say these cost centers, there's avenues within these cost centers that do different things. And for CSI, for example, uh, they have a bunch of different clubs and organizations within the overarching umbrella of CSI. So uh, Program Council, for example, falls underneath the Center for Student Involvement. So they do things like the Welcome Fest, which is the opening concert for freshmen and all students at the beginning of the year without COVID, right? right? Where we get big name artists and we have a huge stage and we have security. I mean, it's a huge deal. And last year um, we had a huge artist come and there's thousands and thousands of kids there. So, you know, that's the fun part, right? Is CSI and, and I, I'm very involved in media. And so I kind of have a soft spot for, mm-hmm. for that type of thing. But I also have a soft spot for operations. And, you know, like the rec center is very interesting. This has been a really good learning experience because it's so unusual we're the most autonomous student government in the country. Um, and then the other decisions that I'm, you know, always having to ponder and work with other people, because it goes far beyond me. Um, it goes into hundreds of people, a lot of students in particular who don't get credited for the hard work that they do or the ideas they bring to the table, is keeping the clock turning. Administration looks to us for a good read on what students are experiencing. And one of those big conversations uh, during COVID has been mental health, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, mental health and diversity and inclusion, which in my opinion has always been the, you know, one of those forefront conversations, but has finally reached a level where the mobility and the, the opportunity to execute actually is higher in, in chaos. No opportunity is lost in chaos. Right. You have to just, so it's been super cool, but there's a lot of pressure that comes with allocating that money um, or at least being the face of, of a movement where students are looking to you to provide them a resource. And you have to go through the bureaucratic system to get that done. 
what what has given your drive? What has given your maturity to want to take on all this stuff? Mm-hmm. I didn't I didn't want to take on any of that stuff. My deal was I, I played baseball in college. I just wanted to I wanted to go play baseball. Yep. I wanted to check out chicks. I wanted to go to the football games, baseball games, basketball games. I wanted to do all that stuff. The college experience. Mm-hmm. I don't want to take anything away from you, but are you experiencing college? <laughs> yeah, it's funny you say that actually, because uh, well, you know, we also have to take into account the year we're living in. This is yeah, this is miserable. It it's the college experience for anybody is so drastically changed this year that yeah. it wouldn't be normal either way. But I started this before that that happened, and. Uh, yeah, I, I like to take on a challenge. I'm going to be honest with you. I would never have thought or sought this out when I got to see you. I was never, I didn't show up and was like, oh, I want to become the student body president. So you were like me. How so? You knew where the bars were at. Oh, yeah. You knew where. Oh, yeah. yeah. Wait a minute. No, you didn't. You were well, I was at 18, counselor. so no bars You just then. knew where they were at. Yeah, I knew the location. Yeah, you, you certainly weren't <laughs> going there, but you knew where they were at. Exactly. But, had, so you were a regular, you were a regular Joe. You, did, I, you didn't start out this mission to be who you are now. You wanted to experience a little bit of college. I, I did to a degree. And I would, I would say this uh, to say that I've always felt a little bit, uh, I've, I've made it to where I've always been a little bit different than maybe what's going on from the large social groups. Of course, I had my fun. Of course, I still have fun, right? The college experience, I go to games. I have a lot of very close friends on the sports teams. I'm front row and center, you know, for all those games, football, basketball, all of them. Um, And of course, you know, you go out and have a good time in the city and stuff like that. But uh, it's not, it's not what makes me tick. I know, but I'm glad to hear you say that because let me tell you, the thing I, again, I'm a little jaded on politics and all this kind of stuff, right? Yeah. I need, I need to know that you're a real guy too, though, that you're absolutely real. Mm -hmm. And, and if somebody comes up and they tell me that, listen, you know, I haven't made my mistakes. I haven't went to the wrong party. I right. haven't done all stuff. To me, man, I, I mean, for the most part, now this super mature guy that I see in this so responsible guy, with, especially with money and all this stuff, mm. it still makes me feel good that you've had experiences because without experiences in life, oh, yeah. I think knowledge is extremely limited. Oh, for sure. And those experiences, yeah, I am definitely a regular guy in those, or, you know, in that term because... Of course, I like to have fun. Of course, I like to have, you know, real conversation. I want to make mistakes, actually. You know, you try your best not to, but I look back on the college days, freshman year, sophomore year, where I've had some fun or made some mistakes as a kid. That's what you are at that point. You're a young man, but you're a kid. I'm a young man now, but I'm going to look back and be like, I was a kid then, right? And it's fun. You need to have fun. You need to mess up. And it's not even messing up to a degree, right? right? It's just part of the experience. It's part of the process. So I would never take back the levels of college experience that I've had. But I will say, if you do want to get to the level, I, I'm impatient. <laughs> so I'm, I'm an impatient person, and that's a skill that I actually diligently ha- had to work on is being more patient and understanding the long-term process. But with that long-term process and understanding of where I want to be, I don't have an answer for where do you exactly want to be next year? Like, where do I want to live next year? I don't know. I know the level of excellence I want to reach, but I don't know what comes with that. But I do know some of the factors that will play into that. For example, I'm going to have to give up this year a lot of my college experience for what it would typically be, you know, last year or the year before, right? And I still have an experience, but I've 
changed my experience to be just as satisfying as it was then. So That's that maturity, and I love it. Actually, in one of the speeches you said, you actually said we have to make mistakes. Did I? Yeah, you did. I, dude, I've researched everything. <laughs> There's no stone unturned here right now. I yeah. got a whole bunch more for you coming up. Yeah. Tennis, basketball, you know where I'm going. Oh, yeah. There we go. They, um, <laughs> no, you said we have to make mistakes. Another thing that you said that I absolutely loved is it's not a left or right thing. It's a right or wrong thing, mm. by the yep. way, is the same speech. Just yes. so yeah, maybe now jog your I'm memory. On the, yep, I'm All on right. the page now. And again, when I see the younger generation that is potentially going to be massively influential in the world... Mm. I have to take that serious because now that is, again, regulating over my children. Right. And I can only do so much here, and then I rely on you guys to do the rest of it, so so to speak. When you said that statement, obviously, if you're in student government, if you're in, you know, the, the, the class president, all this type of stuff, politics plays a role. Was that a political statement? I wouldn't say that was a political statement. I would say that was true to what I believe. And I've noticed as I've maneuvered through different issues that become increasingly more political, that you just get caught up in the weeds. And so when I said, it's not about left or right, it's about right and wrong, I've said that in meetings. I've said that to representatives that I have to, you know, make sure I'm representing my constituency properly. Because there are issues that we're dealing with right now that are so politicized that we do not reach the conclusion that we need to as a human race as a community, as a group of people, as one body, because we disagree on something that doesn't matter. Um, So it is about right and wrong. And I guess, you know, somebody might counter that statement and say, well, my version of right is different than your version of right and wrong and vice versa. And that is the challenge. Somebody's always going to do that. Always. Always. You're never going to have it where you get 100% to agree ever. It doesn't work in life like that. But I love that you, you just said that. Listen, if, we, if everybody can't share their ideas, mm-hmm. and I know I'm laying this on you heavy, and I even told you oh, this great. before, because the thing that bothers me the most is you're 21 years old, and I feel terrible that you have to wait some of this stuff. This is not something that you should have to have on your shoulders as far as I'm concerned. This mm-hmm. is either a failure of my generation, a failure of politics, greed, whatever it may be, but... I always feel bad that somebody like yourself at 21, you shouldn't have to wait this responsibility. I'm glad it is you because I trust you (laughs) and I think you can carry this weight. Mm. But I think it's a little unfair that you have to do it. But where does stuff like that come into play when you're the, when you're the president? Do you tell them, do you say, Hey man, we need all types of speech. We need everything. Mm. I mean, how does, how has that played out in your career now being in your senior year? Yeah. Well, for one, the conversation about free speech is one that is very hot, always has been, always will be, right? And, you know, you have other universities that don't let speakers like Milo Yiannopoulos uh, come and speak, right? Um, I believe that there's a space He is for, a little crazy. Agreed. Agreed. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I fully agree, right? There, at what point, though, do you have a threshold? There we go, right? At what point do you say you're causing more harm than you are spreading ideology for people to ponder and make their own decisions? And I think the answer to that is you got to let whoever goes there to listen to it go there to listen to it. I, it's, a, it's a vague space. It's a vague space. I'm going to be honest with you. A, and I can't say that every speaker, whether that's a conservative speaker or a, a liberal speaker— should be allowed to speak if it's causing harm. And what you classify as harm, you know, goes down to like Thomas Hobbes <laughs> and all those people, right? Like you can 
you can talk about the state of nature all day long and what really is harm. Right. Um, but yeah, I, I'm a believer in free speech 100%. And I'm also a believer in having the ability to limit if you're a private institution or even a public institution, uh, what is best for the students. And that line is hard to draw. I don't have one statement that can answer that because there are too many people with too many views who feel differently about different things. So we should have the most conservative speaker come. We should have the most liberal speaker come. We should have the libertarian speaker come. We should have everybody come and form their opinions. That's what college is about, Yeah. for one, is, is facing the conversation. It's a beautiful thing. And my mom had always told me, this will be one of the only times in your life where you are in one place at one time with people all your age doing the same thing. And part of that same thing, the, the pivotal part of that is learning, having the hard conversations. I used to be in my dorm uh, freshman year, and I lived in a dorm called Hallett Hall. And Hallett was super unique in the fact that uh, it was like a multicultural dorm. So we had uh, one section was for African-American students. You choose to be there. Um, one section was for LGBTQ plus students. Um, one floor was considered standard, but it really was heavy on international students. The bottom floor was all male. So, I mean, there's a lot going on there, yeah. a lot of conversations going on. And we used to come together in the common area. And I love debate. I love to, even if I agree with you, I just like to debate. Just to oh, I know you do. Yeah. I knew this was coming. <laughs> yeah, I just like to debate, right? <laughs> and I used to be there, and I would have the best conversations, and they'd be the hardest, most uncomfortable conversations where I would feel attacked, where it goes from, you know, macro level talk to who are you, though? Like, tell me your identity. Why is you? Why is what you're saying correct or incorrect? And I felt almost torn down a lot of the days that I was there feeling isolated or like these conversations made me feel like I wasn't wanted at times or I would walk away like, oh, I won that, right? There's all these different factors that have crafted a beautiful experience of learning. So it's important to have those conversations. I had a good friend of mine who, uh, he was two years older than I am. He, he didn't really like the university, but he didn't play on a team. He didn't okay. have some of these things, right? And what was interesting is his experience was he was by himself all the time, mm -hmm. and it was a lonely place for him. And I remember him telling me that story. So I always would be reiterating to other students, listen, go immerse yourself in something. Get in some mm -hmm. sort of group, some sort of club. Start making friends. Then those friends are going to give you friends, and those friends are going to give you friends. And then you have this huge network, right. right? Now it seems like all of a sudden, though, we're back to getting into groups because we don't want any outside influence. You mm -hmm. want to just be in that group. You want are you seeing that? Is that what's going on now? I would say that... It'd be hard for me to say in compared to the time you were into now, but what I can say is I think there's a trend, and I wouldn't call it a fad. I'd say this was probably always present. It just hasn't been talked about. Um, whether that be through you know technology and social media has really actually isolated us to a certain degree. The college experience in itself has become polarized to the point where you only want comfortability. People are not it's hard for me to say people aren't getting involved because there's still a lot of students that do. I, I'll give you this example. I can speak from my perspective. As a person who's heavily involved in the university, and I wasn't in a bunch of clubs uh, freshman year, for example, or sophomore year. I had a lot of friends in different circles. I'm a person that likes to be friends with you know different types of people. I had the athlete friends of various sports. I had the Greek life friends. I had the super academic friends, the computer science friends, right? All these different people. 
And that filled my void of what I need. If I want to have a super intellectual conversation, I'll go here. If I want to have some fun and just feel free, I'll go here. If I want to just, you know, express my, my culture, I'll go here, right? Um, and that's how I function. And I think people do that inherently and don't realize it. Um, there's this notion that I believe to be true is I'm very, I would consider myself a, a relatively connected person now on campus. I, I would consider myself a, a person that knows a lot of people. But there's still many days and have been many days and are, there are still many days where I, I can walk into a room and know 200 people, it doesn't matter, and still feel alone, right? There, there's Loneliness is plaguing my generation and I don't think it's actually talked about. And they, even the people who are most involved, the smartest kids or the most socially popular kids really might be the most lonely. They often say the loudest one in the room is the loneliest one in the room. Yeah. And, you know, so I guess it depends on how you classify that, but that is like a security thing where people say, okay, uh, I found my group of people. I don't want to let them go. I'm going to just stick with that. And then you feel attacked when you're hearing outside opinions or even just branching out, stepping out of your comfort zone. And I always say, uh, I remember I gave a, a speech when I graduated high school. I was the speaker at my high school. And I, the whole speech was about risk, taking risk. And I still live by that. I, I love this analogy. And I've made it myself. I don't know how impactful it is, but in my head, it's impactful, right? <laughs> and I tell people, uh, every level that you climb, and this is what I visualize in my head, is I get to a cliff. And I'm standing at the cliff. And at the bottom, you can't see the bottom. It's an abyss. It's the deepest cliff you've ever seen. And nobody's there but you. There's nobody to help you up. There's nobody to pull you from the edge. And you have a decision right there. You either lean off and take the risk, hoping that yourself, I'm actually a religious person, so uh, I'd say God or, or whatever you want to fill in there, right? Circumstances, your own self-belief will carry you up to the next highest cliff, or you hit the bottom. That's the risk you take. But you have to be okay with the outcome. A lot of people don't want to take the risk. I try every time to lean off that cliff. And while you're leaning off, it can be lonely, it can be painful and uncomfortable, but it is always worth it. I know that sounds kind of vague and, and theoretical, but it's true. No, I love it. And this is why there's no doubt you're the president. There's no doubt. <laughs> Honestly, man, I mean, just from the little bit I knew about you and then obviously what we're doing here today, you give me hope. Uh, when, when, you know, it, the world's so cynical, but just seeing things in that big, broad picture, like, hmm. listen, man, the, the life is a great thing. Oh, it, it is. It can be wonderful. You got to take these risks. You got to take these chances. It's, it's really interesting and fascinating to me uh, when I hear this, because outside of CU, hmm. there's a lot of people that they come up with the opinion, it's so liberal up there. It's so this up there. It's so that up there. This is why I wanted you on this show. Mm. You're the president, and I see why you're the president. I understand why you're the president. Been a lot of stuff put on your shoulders, and I think you've handled it extremely well. Thanks. And that gives me hope that you, that you will go on. Now, here I am going to step into the thing of, yeah. of the father role, right? All right. Can you avoid the pressures behind the influence that I already know you're going to have? I don't even know if you know how successful you're going to be, but I do. You just have that drive. You have that. You're that person, right? And in some of that stuff, I always say, do you even know how you got there? Most people don't. It's just it naturally came over time through working hard, doing everything that we know makes people successful. Mm -hmm. 
Can you, with that influence, avoid the pressures from all angles that's going to hit you? You did say in one of your speeches, you said sometimes you got to walk alone and you can't be scared to go alone. For sure. I see that in you, and it gives me hope. Well, it's, it's a fact. And as you go through, inevitably, you will be alone at times. You're not alone fully, but you came in this world alone, you're going to go out alone, right? And I'm no stranger to feeling isolated in my walk. And I don't think anybody's really a stranger to feeling that level of isolation. I just like to voice it to let other people know you're not actually alone in feeling alone, right? And so when the pressure comes of, of, to answer your question is bring it. Like what is the point of doing anything I'm doing if I can't face the pressure? And the pressure might succumb or I might succumb to the pressure at times, right? Waver, but always fail forward. So I'm not sure I would say I don't want the pressure. I want the pressure. I'm eager for the pressure. I want there to be levels to this where I arrive at a new point in my life where I say, oh my God, what's coming? I don't know what to do. I feel unprepared. I feel small. I feel, uh, you know, unqualified maybe. I want those moments because that's what fuels me to conquer that next step. So bring the pressure. I love, I love it. You know, when it, it, it's, I, I, of course, I play baseball, and I love baseball analogies, but, you know, you got two outs, it's in the ninth inning, right? Mm. Do you want the guy to walk up to the plate and say, man, I sure hope I get a hit? Or do you want the guy to walk out of the dugout saying, all right, after I hit this thing and we start celebrating, this is going to be a great day? Right. That's what you've got, and I want to take that there. And here's, here's where I want to wrap some stuff up. Mm. Because I think this is so incredibly powerful. I have a feeling I know where it came from. Maybe mom, maybe grandma, uh-huh. I don't know. <laughs> but you know what? You're not scared of God either. No. And that is another thing that is extremely refreshing to me. Mm. Now, of course, uh, you know, producer Chad and I, are, we're both believers. We run, our podcast is not about a faith-based podcast, but when some of the massive stories that we run that are insurmountable, a mm. lot of people find faith, they find God. And I did find that interesting because it's a, it's a topic that I hear around the circles that a lot of that's being lost, especially at the university level, especially young people. They feel so beat down. They feel this. They feel that. When I started researching it and I saw God show up a lot in mm-hmm. your life and stuff, that, so number one, you're the guy that's going to go to the plate expecting to get the hit. For sure. It's you also written. You also believe that there's something bigger that can guide you and, and help you make decisions and so on and so forth. That's a real positive thing. I'm really impressed with that. Tell me where that came from. Oh, man. Well, I think, yeah, I mean, I, I was raised to have an understanding of God, right? And I like to, now as I get older, I try my best to separate religion from God. I do identify as a Christian, but um, my best friend is, is Muslim right? Um, one of my best friends growing up was Hindu. Uh, I have friends who are atheists. Um, and for me personally, God is my strength. And I would be lying if I didn't say that, right? It's, it's unpopular to say that. And I probably have never said that until right now publicly, right? At least in this setting. Um, but that is the truth. I would be lying. I, w- I wouldn't defy God in that way by saying, you know, it's just the truth for me. And that might look different for other people. And in a university setting, I've become more and more cognizant of the fact that we don't have it all figured out as people. And, you know, they used to say Boulder is one of the most godless cities in America. Um, I don't know how true that is. Uh, It's not a commonality to be speaking about God or coming together around God. 
And maybe that's okay. Maybe that is part of the steps for people's paths to find God or not if they don't believe, right? I'm, I am not going to impose my will on the people I represent because it doesn't matter to me. And that's fair. But, but God for me is, is, is God for me. Right, and and that is my strength. When I wake up in the morning and I walk alone, I'm never really walking alone, right? And I would say nobody's really walking alone. And this is why I'm so cognizant of like death, right? I, I've I've become obsessive about it sometimes, where I'm like, oh, I, this is what I want to leave behind specifically, or uh, the moment when it happened. I could die tomorrow, or I could die right now. I could die in five years. I don't know when my time will be, but I know I have purpose, and I think it's. Uh, been critical for me to identify that, yes, I do have purpose because of something greater. Giving yourself purpose is all fine and dandy until you realize your own ego can be stripped from you at any moment. Yeah. And so there's something intrinsic about just human nature, in my opinion. Um, consciousness, the ability to, to love, the ability to uh, contemplate abstract things. Like, that that's a that's a book in itself. That's there's wars that are over this conversation, yeah. right? People, many many millions of people have died throughout history because of this very conversation. Um, but it's important to recognize that my generation uh, is asking a lot of questions, and I think we've asked the most questions potentially of any generation ever. We're asking questions about society. We're asking questions about ourselves. We're asking questions about our future, about God, right? About academia. We're asking so many questions that it's become, we're lifting the veil. It's all smoke and mirrors, right? Where it's like, oh, well, if you look at religion, and I can say this as a believer of God, that if you look at religion, it is very murky water. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of corruption there. There's a lot of um, terrible things that happen when associated with religion. And that is a put off to people especially when you go through academia, because they let you know the real history behind what it is you claim as God, right? And so that's where I've started to say, here's religion, take it for what it is, you can interpret it yourself, but God exists outside of the human structure of how he might be presented. So that's where the conversations open up with, with my friends of other religions. Dude, I got a bro crush on you. <laughs> I'm like, this is all right stuff right there. You know, I, I've, I've been able to rub shoulders and elbows with some of the most influential people in the world. And this is an unpopular statement, too, sometimes. Even though I've been around some of those guys, sometimes I'm like, and I, I got to say women, too. I'm from the Midwest. We always use guys. Yeah. Men and women. Mm -hmm. Been able to be around just some of the most influential people in the world. And... It's always interesting how every single one of us has a story, right? And then where does your story kind of fall into how you think, how you believe, how you do all this stuff? I don't know you extremely well, but I feel like I know you. And that's always that good gut feeling for me. I kind of feel like I know your mom, too. And as a matter of fact, I think I want to get her on a podcast, actually. Okay. I would love she, it. I would love to she get her on it. here. That's, uh, that in and of itself, those are the types of stories that I believe changes the world. Mm. Changes the world. I don't believe politicians, rhetoric. I don't think that changes the world. It's each one of us understanding we have a story. It's a personal story. I mean, I, I, it's sad that I have to thank you for going out on the limb and sharing that, that mm. piece. I think that's sad. Well, it's, just a, it's a contentious... You have to be careful with what you say uh, when you're seeking to influence masses of people. 
except on Truth Talks. Maybe except we'll on Truth our, Talks. Maybe we'll just truth. keep our audience low. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. We're always going to speak the truth. Yeah, and that's my truth. And I love it. Yeah. And, and man, you, like I said, you have just impressed the hell out of me. And I knew when, when uh, Chuck had sent us this story, uh, I knew it was going to be a good one because mm-hmm. Chuck doesn't do anything but, but spectacular. Mm-hmm. And um, I want to thank you for coming on our show dumping your heart out, showing what it's like to, to not only be a real human being, but taking this process to the president of a major university, taking change and trying to make it better for everyone else. I'm just so impressed with you, young man. And well, thank you. when you go to pass that baton to somebody, you're the guy I want to pass it to. And I'm not saying that because you're on my show. That's what I truly believe. Thank you. Um, you're, you're, you're a stand-up individual and that's what we need in this world right now more than ever well thank you it's been a super great time honestly so i i I just want you know that baton is resting on a lot of people's shoulders and it's going to be up to us to make the change we want to see and it's going to be up to your generation to be accepting of the information and the willpower that is being brought before you all because the hard work and the, the long nights and the these conversations that that happen have to equate to action. And I can do all the action I want, but there's some years and there, there's a generation of people who are gatekeeping from a lot of these opportunities because there's a lack of understanding or a lack of acceptance of our reality. And whether that be through just people my age, whether that be through different genders, specifically different races, and that is just me speaking the truth, is the race conversation in particular we have to have allyship, not only across generations, but across identities. Mm-hmm. So that will also be on uh, your generation to assist my generation in passing that baton successfully. I'm perfectly willing to take what you've got to give me if you're willing to take. I Deal. think it's how it works. Tell me, tell me here as I wrap up, too, I want to know where, where do you go from here? Oh, man. Well, right now... I'm kind of hoping it's going into politics is really where I'm kind of yeah. hoping this goes. Because <laughs> now, now I got this bromance, and I'm like, all right, I need this guy to go ahead and take this on down the road for yeah. me. Yeah, yeah. I, I have a lot of goals. Like, I'm super into a lot of things. I love creative stuff. I love music. I make music. I love video. I like acting. I like all sorts of things. I'm like a... You, you don't want to be a professional tennis player, right? Oh, God. Well, that was embarrassing. Maybe. I was, I... <laughs> I was going to bring it up, and I thought, you know what? Maybe I'll leave that off, but now i got to bring it up. So here, the first clip I see, you're playing basketball with one of the CU guys. Uh-huh. Yeah. Driven behind your back, between your legs, shooting a three-pointer when you count down three, two, one, which you all do when we're kids, of right? Course. you got to wait. You, you, nobody three, ever takes a three-point shot without three, two, one. Of course. One. Yeah. But then you post this tennis one. Oh. It almost ruined the entire podcast. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, producer Chad, I'm not sure we can have this guy on because I'm embarrassed for it. What was that about? Oh, man. I had a, one of my buddies was like, hey, like, let's go play tennis. I have an extra racket. You've never played. I'm like, you okay, so we can throw it out there. You've never played. That was my first time playing. Okay, thank you, Jesus. That, that was, was my yeah. first time playing. So I said, <laughs> it's my first time. Let's vlog it. Let's get the crew together. Let's do it. And I thought I was going to be way better. <laughs> I thought I was going to be way better. And I went and I was absolute garbage. I'm okay now. I've gone a few more times. I can hold my own now, but then not not the move. <laughs> that was that was awesome. Another thing that I'm like, oh man, that makes this guy human. Right? Oh, yeah. That's why I loved it. I'm like, he's so human. Yeah, but all right, back to the back to the story. Where do you go? Where do you yeah. see yourself? So right now, I graduate in May. Uh, I'm looking for opportunities right now, kind of sifting through different offers, um, potentially different career paths. I want to go 
to law school at some point, I think. Um, Just when I started at 11. But I'm not going to be a lawyer. Oh, okay. Yeah. (laughs) I don't want to be a lawyer. I want the law degree to just have another level of knowledge for, uh, you know, high-level business and politics. So ideally, I'm super into tech. I'd like to go into a space that is creative but of high industry um, for a year or two, maybe attend law school, maybe another postgraduate degree, um, and then go into politics once I have some of that private industry creative freedom that I can control and, and influence people through that medium, then go and run for a high political office. Ideally, you know, I, I would like to go into Congress maybe and be a senator or a, 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 rep- a representative, and then you never know what happens from there. But yes, I will be involved in politics at some point. Yeah, I see it in you. Yeah. Um, I hope you don't lose this, this honesty. I hope you don't lose this guy that I see right now because this is what the world needs more than anything right now and I and it's going to be, we're going to need it 50 years from now let's be honest yeah you know oh, things yeah. change pretty slowly um change we're going to need that it's um I've had so much fun with you though Me too. And, and I would I would certainly like to bring you back because there's some topics that I really want to hammer that you know I, I need that honesty I mm. need that that what you have uh because again, even at fifty some, we still want to influence people, right? Agreed. And and get their lives better and make their lives better. And I feel like you're doing that at CU. Um, yes. I I am I'm so proud of you, man. Thank you. Thank I am you. I am well, literally you proud of you for this opportunity to have this medium. What you're doing is enabling people who have dreams like me to be able to share this. So you're doing the the work that we need as well. Yes. So you do social media too. Yeah. Talk to me about your podcast. Talk to me about the stuff that you're doing. Yeah, yeah. So right now, uh, our Stratcom team in the executive branch, so my Stratcom team, uh, we put together, I had this idea. I said, I want to do a talk show, and I want it to have absolutely no limits, right? I just, if, it, if we're in person, if we're playing sports, that's great. If we're sitting down like this, that's great. Uh, and I want to get as many people who are as impactful as possible to the students as possible. The whole point was to lift the veil that I felt like, you know, caused a lack of transparency. And so first, I got Chancellor Stefano on there. Second, I got my friend on the basketball team to kind of add a little bit more entertainment um, alongside real conversation. Uh, this third episode that's coming out uh, shortly is with the director of the DOC, Department of Corrections for Colorado, Dean Williams. Him and I worked a lot over the summer together on CCI, which is the Colorado Correctional Industries. And uh, we were ne- CU was negotiating the contract that we have with the prisons because they manufacture furniture and other goods. Um, And so I was the student rep on that. And that was a very long process. It's still ongoing. I got to meet with inmates. Uh, I spoke with Dean, a lot of debate back and forth, a lot of disagreement, a lot of not very much agreement, but a lot of disagreement. (laughs) (laughs) We found common ground, but uh, that's that episode. And we'll just keep, we'll keep going. We have some people in New York who are interested, some artists, some, some black artists, specifically visual artists who I want to put on the show, some academics who I want on the show. I don't want to give it all away, but yeah, that's how that started. Yeah. I still didn't hear him talk about bringing us on the show. He named. Oh, 60 oh I'm people. sorry. You're welcome on the show. <laughs> ah, <yes. laughs> I need to be on the show. You do. You do. And if it does anything with bourbon, uh, producer Chad, he, he, he'll he knock it out of the park. So okay. It, although you shouldn't have that at the <laughs> campus thing or whatever. Yeah, they might shut that one they down. They might shut that one down. <laughs> I tell you what, again, I want to tell you how much I appreciate you coming on. You know, I kind of had a line that I had, had kind of thought where I was going to take it. Mm. And, and then all of a sudden it came up to me that 
I'm like, man, I got to really focus on this young man. I, I do believe you're going to make some big deals. There's going to be some big things happening from you. Thank you. Um, and I hope someday you look back on this. Uh, oh, I will. Hell, maybe maybe the day you get inaugurated into something, you know, who even knows how far you may go. And maybe we'll be doing this in the White House one day. Yeah, <laughs> You look back at this old man and be like, you know what? He said one thing is that one day I hope you're as rich as me. Uh-huh. Whatever like that, that means for you. Thank you. All right, my friend. Thank awesome. you so much for coming Absolutely. on the show. Thank All you. Right.